Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 through 48. While they were talking about this, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, everybody. I saw Tim was reading scripture today, and I thought, oh, man, we're going to have to dismiss after he reads (laughs) Caesar's. That was great. Thank you very much. We are in the season of Easter, and so we have this new-ish sort of uh, sermon series that we are working through here. Uh, It is going to cause me to to struggle with a lot of the I am statements that we have throughout Scripture, and we have a, a, a pretty... Uh, basic and not one of the more popular I am statements uh, to deal with today. It pretty simply says, I am he. I am myself. And we're going to struggle with that statement here today. But in that we are in this season of Easter, I want to keep this quote ahead of you, in front of you. For 50 days, the church lives into the reality of the resurrection, of what it means to be a community shaped by the dying and rising of Christ, by the expectation shattering reality of life victorious over death. And you've heard me say it before, hear me say it again. I think we good-hearted Christians have a tendency to live in the shadow of the cross, which by that I mean we have this tendency to live in the shadow of the cross. We feel guilty for the things that we have done. We feel guilty for the things that we haven't yet done. We feel guilty for the things that we can't get done. And yet somehow we only live in the shadow of that cross as opposed to living in the light of the resurrection. What does it mean to live in the light of the resurrection? I think that's a challenge to Christian imagination still. It is a challenge to my Christian imagination still, but man, we're going to give it a shot. 
We're going to give it a shot today over the next several weeks and lots of time after that. And hopefully you will see what I'm talking about. Now, I would say this to you. In order to talk about what the resurrection is, we need to talk for a second at least about what the resurrection isn't. Did you know that there are several places in our city that are supposed to be, or at least reported to be, haunted, like by ghosts? Like, there is a particular website. If you were to live out of town and you said, I'm gonna go, I wanna go tour all the different places just in Oklahoma City where there is a, the report of, of infestations or hauntings, there is a list of eight different places that are, that are haunted, supposedly, and number one on that list is the Skirvin Hotel. The Skirvin Hotel. Rumor has it, legend has it, that years and years and years ago, there was a, a housekeeper by the name of Effie who died tragically. She and her baby died tragically. And again, rumor has it, and by the way, you're hearing these rumors from visiting NBA teams who stay in the Skirvin. Uh, and who believe that their sleep is pretty regularly disturbed by Effie and that child. In fact, you have stories like this, a door slammed, there's nobody else in the room, and big NBA player, I kid you not, went and go stayed, he went and stayed the entire night in the room of another NBA player because he was so spooked. Another player woke up to find the bathtub full of water and blamed that on Effie, not himself. I mean, there is this thing out there, there is this rumor out there that the Skirvin, the 10th floor in particular, is haunted. They even have it down to the room and nobody stays in said room. In fact, it's been remodeled, that room doesn't exist, but it doesn't keep us from stopping, it doesn't keep us from saying, hey, this might actually be haunted. Is it haunted? I don't know, probably not, but I, who am I to say? I don't know. When we talk about the resurrection, we're not talking about a ghost story. We are not talking about a ghost story. We are talking about something that is so not a ghost story that Jesus, in very clear terms, says, this is not a ghost story. Ghost stories existed way back when. In fact, ghost stories that had to do with someone who died tragically or someone who died in any way, ghost stories existed way back when. In fact, the disciples had heard so many of those stories that there were some of the disciples, though Jesus had given them all kinds of evidence to believe the contrary, there were some of those disciples who still thought that perhaps we were telling ghost stories. Now, before the passage that you heard Tim read is that very famous passage about Jesus showing up on the road to Emmaus and Cleopas and somebody else was walking along. They were having a discussion about all that had happened in Jerusalem over the past week and weekend. And Jesus, who's overhearing this conversation, plays coy and he walks up beside them and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they say to him, well, we're talking about all the stuff that happened in Jerusalem. And by the way, are you the only one in Jerusalem who has not heard all of these things? And Jesus, still playing with them, says, tell me about these things. And so they retell this whole story. They tell this whole story about this person that they had hoped would have been the one to redeem Israel. But this one that they had hoped would have been the one to redeem Israel had been arrested publicly humiliated, and then crucified. It was gruesome sort of thing. Now, we have heard this crazy rumor, and it was crazy women who told the crazy rumor that this body is gone, and they said that they had seen Jesus. And Jesus seems to say to them, fascinating story. You guys have a good night. 
And they say, no, 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 no. Why don't you stay with us? Stay with us. Because what Jesus had done now, as Jesus had so mm, challenged their imaginations that they are now starting to draw lines, starting to piece all the pieces together. In fact, Jesus, what Jesus had done is taken all of Scripture to demonstrate how, in fact, the Messiah would have had to die in these same sorts of ways. And so having begged him to stay the night with them, Jesus walks in. And see if this sounds familiar. There came a point at which Jesus came in, took bread, blessed it, broke it, and offered it to them. And like that, they recognized him. Oh, wait a minute. You're, and before they could get it out, he had vanished from their sight. <laughs> Only adding to the ghost story part, right? So he vanished. But they get up and they go running to find the place where the disciples are all gathered behind closed doors. Again, still afraid. They go and they gather behind these closed doors. And while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. Whew. Peace be with you. Now, they were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. Okay, just so that we are clear on what we mean by ghost, we mean a ghost, like no body, a disembodied spirit, something that has died and that exists now only in spirit or ghost form. Guys, Christians still struggle with this thought. And here's what I mean. There are a lot of Christians out there who still think, still think that Christianity has less to do with bodies and more to do with spirits and souls. And Jesus understood this to be a tragic belief. Hear me. Jesus understood that to be a tragic belief, that Christianity would be limited to spirits or souls and not completely embodied. Jesus so understood that to be a tragic belief that Jesus in his resurrected life said, I've got to go address this right now. Can I tell you something? If faith for you is just a matter of spirits and souls and not bodies, you can't seem to push it all the way to the end of your fingers, what you're doing is not Christianity. Well, I thought there'd be more amens than that, but that's fine, whatever. <laughs> they thought they were seeing a ghost. He says, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and feet and see that it is I. Here it is, this is the I am statement right here. I am me, he says. I am me, the me that you remembered. The me that perhaps has other scars that I suffered because I grew up in a carpenter's home. Remember the one on my thumb? The hammer slipped, I tore up my thumb. I still have that scar. Now I have these other scars too. But I am me, the same one that has all these same memories that we have, we have developed over these last several years, walking around and journeying. This is Jesus saying, I am me, I'm that guy, I'm the person. I'm your friend. You know I like fish. You know I like broiled fish. I am me, I'm not a ghost. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. So, and have you heard me tell this story before? Not too long ago, I was with the Sunday school class and we were going through the Apostles' Creed, just line at a time, saying to them, this is what we believe, this is what church people believe, this is what we've believed for a long time. And we got to the line 
that had to do with the resurrection of the body. And a young man in our class said, whoa, we believe that? The resurrection of the body? Yes. We believe that this Jesus was not a ghost. That's a good place for an amen. We believe that this Jesus was killed. We believe that this Jesus died and was dead long enough, long enough, to have been pronounced dead in all kinds of ways. And then death was overcome. Death itself was overcome. When we see Jesus, when they saw Jesus here, this was not a ghost. This was the Jesus that they remembered. Jesus, we think, probably could have remembered the conversations that they had had before. Remembered all those, those stories that made them laugh. Remembered those stories that were particularly painful. This Jesus was the same guy. It's Jesus saying, I am me in the flesh. Verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while in their joy, I love this, it was too good to be true, right? While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, all right, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence because that's what real people do. That's what real people do. He took it and he ate it because when we say resurrection, we mean that grace has overcome death. Amen. Not bad, not bad. When we say resurrection, what we're saying here is that all that Jesus said about what made made for the life that God dreamed of. All that Jesus said about love being more powerful than power itself. All that Jesus said that left us with this deep impression that we can in fact hear this, that we can in fact trust love and grace to organize and order all of our steps and organize and order a people, organize and order even policy, all that Jesus said about the primacy and the priority of love was on trial when power took love captive. All that Jesus said, all of that good theology that Jesus said and all that good theology that Jesus embodied was put on trial when love was taken captive by power. And then power did the best that it could to arm wrestle love to the ground. And love, doing the best that it could, love fought back and fought back and fought back as only love does, but power thought it had dealt the final blow in killing love. And then love won. And love wins. Love wins. It's really important, and Jesus goes to great lengths here to demonstrate that this resurrection 
was not just a spiritual thing. It was an embodied thing. It was an embodied thing. And that's really important for us. If the resurrection isn't about Christ's body, then resurrection doesn't accomplish anything for our bodies in this life right now. And all of this faith is disembodied, ghostly, intangible, worthless. Worthless. Worthless, John, really? You don't think the hereafter is worth something? Oh, I totally do. I totally think that the hereafter and eternity is worth something. I believe, I believe in eternal punishment and eternal reward. I do, I really do. I believe that the God who authors life authors eternal life. I I believe all of that. I just believe that the God who authors life and eternal life intends, intends, intends for this life to matter intends for bodies to matter, intends for faith to be a way that God can demonstrate God's heartbeat and priority for life. In other words, I think the person who says, no, 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 it's just about souls and spirits, and so once I'm of the age of accountability, which, depending on where you're at, somewhere around 12, what we're gonna do is lock that person into a room so that he can no longer or she can no longer be somehow infected by this ugly world and save or salvage that person for hereafter because then they won't be sullied somehow. Here's here's what happens. At the moment of death, when you finally let that person out of that room, here's what they are, lost and in desperate need of the grace of God. No, you all. Faith being what it is, we don't need to ask questions about the hereafter unless we're willing to ask the hard questions about the here. And if we're not willing to have the hard conversations about the now, then we're wasting our breath to talk about the eternal. Because what is accomplished in the death and the resurrection of Christ what is accomplished in the death and the resurrection of Christ is meant to be a resource to completely overcome death in all of its forms and to be a force for life in all of its forms. Man, it got super quiet in here. Then Jesus said, okay, now you get it. It's about my body and it's about bodies. But here's the next thing you need to understand. This is not new. This is not new. This has been what God has been up to from the get-go. A force for life, a force for life, a force for life. And all of the scriptures, when you read them properly, says Jesus, says Jesus. When you read them properly, all of them fit. You can read all of scripture through the lens of the resurrection and see what it is that God's trying to do in life, here and now. Yes, hereafter, but also, for sure, here and now. Then he said to them, verse 44, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything was written about me, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, 
This is super important, everybody. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. If the church people, if the resurrection people aren't going to be the people who carry the message of the victory of love to all the people, who's going to do it? Okay. It's supposed to be us. The people who are up here pounding the pulpit saying, hey, no, this is not evidence of how angry God gets in the presence of your sin. This is a tangible demonstration of how far love will go to demonstrate love's point. This is how far love will go. This, this is the hope of your neighbor. Yes, it's your hope for sure, but this is the hope of your coworker. This is the hope of your enemy, your opposite, your irritant. This is. Love has won. Love is winning. Love will win. And you're the ambassador. In other words, says Jesus, the new is not new, but it is the old properly interpreted. Hear that again. In other words, says Jesus, you're looking at me and you're saying this is all new, but it's not new. It is the old properly interpreted. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. A savior who comes to save, not just for the hereafter, but the here. The victory of love over all other forms of power. The victory of grace. The victory that says, here's how far love will go to make love's point, and by the way, God raised Jesus from the dead to finish the sentence. And so we as a church move outside of these walls to try to, as best we can, embody this message. We have gotten involved in issues ranging from poverty to illiteracy, uh, food security, um, incarceration, we've gotten involved in all kinds of things because we think that's what you do when you're resurrection people, when you're resurrection people and this is the winning message, then you go and you confront the here with a new possibility. That's what you do. You go get involved in your cities and your societies. You go get involved as resurrection people saying, armed with this new truth that love has won and love will win and love is currently winning, we can reimagine all of these situations. And so we get involved in civic societal issues. We do that, we do that. And we will continue to do that. We've gotten pretty good at it and we will continue to do it. I feel God moving me to move us back to another place as well. <sighs> Love wins over power. Love wins over death and deathliness, correct? And so we rightly enter into civic conversations and we enter into societal conversations armed with this truth. But that same truth should go with you as you address your neighbor. Do 
Jesus said to Peter, I will make you fishers of men. And in saying to Peter, I will make you fishers of men, (laughs) an outreach and evangelism sort of movement was birthed. Now those words stick in some people's throats, outreach and evangelism. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I stick in my throat. And here's why, I've seen it done so poorly. (laughs) I, I have seen people who very much look like the victims of outreach and evangelism. I've seen it. I've seen people figuratively beaten towards submission until finally they say the magic words. Until finally they are willing to say the magic words and and be counted amongst those who have finally said the magic words so that somebody can count how many people they got to say the magic words. And when that's outreach and when that's evangelism, yep, that's when it sticks in my throat. For a couple of reasons. A, I'm not sure that that's what love looks like. And B, just as importantly, I'm certain that that's not what love looks like. And yet, we are called to these movements. We are called to be people who are outreaching. We are called to evangelize. We are called to care about our neighbors, our coworkers, the other people in our homes. We are called to be those people. I really feel like it's time for us as a church to think again about what those words might mean if they weren't just a means of counting more people But if we understood them as what happens when a heart grows so large that it can't help but care about the plight of my coworker, it can't help but care about the plight of my enemy and my opposite and my irritant, can't help but care about the person who I might understand as a competitor in my own office. What's next for OKC First? Here's here's what I think is next. I think it's us reappropriating what is meant in phrases like, you will be fishers of people. Reappropriating words like outreach and evangelism, hospitality. Here's the thing. We come to this table, and, and you've heard me say it a couple of times. We, we do this every week. Every week. A lot of us have eaten a lot of this bread. A lot. And you've heard me say, I hope we eat so much of this bread that at some point we kind of feel like we're becoming the bread. We're becoming the bread that is taken, blessed, broken, and given, and that we are poured out in service to a society that needs us. Oh, there he goes again. He's going to talk about illiteracy. Yes, I mean illiteracy. He's talking about poverty. Yes, I mean food security. Yes, and I mean the person who sits in the cubicle next to you. Perhaps the person who sleeps in the bed next to you. Perhaps 
person that you have a hard time not understanding as a competitor, your enemy, your opposite. Yeah, I want you to eat so much of this bread that you become the bread taken, blessed, broken, and given, but not just for societal issues, but also for very personal and interpersonal sorts of issues as you look across the table at someone. God wants to grow your heart, not just that you'll be concerned about illiteracy, God wants that, and I hope to see that as well. I think God does want you to be involved in these processes whereby we can overcome a terrible correctional system, food, insecurity, illiteracy. I promise you, God wants all of that, but not to the exclusion of the person who is within your arm's reach. If it's true, it's true not just in big ways, but in small ways. I said to you on Easter Sunday, the resurrection is big enough for all of creation and small enough for you. I would say this, the resources granted to us in the resurrection are big enough to tackle the darkest, most deathly issues that the world has to offer. It's big enough for all of that and small enough for your irritant, and right now, you know who that person is? And I do hope that in the process of taking the sacrament, I do hope that in the process of being involved in your own life of faith and spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines, I do hope that God grows within you the capability to have a voice and to have a say where the largest issues are concerned, but also to have a voice and to have a say and to have a heart for the person that sits next to you. At home, at work, at church, in the car, on a bus. It's big. And the resurrection is small. That's not new to us. That's not new to this church. The church has for a long time, for years and decades and decades, the church has taken an interest in people. Not just, not just... (laughs) Not just uh, violence and the problem of having kids out there, but all the way down to calling that Ron Wheeler. Right? Not just huge issues like illiteracy, but all the way down to the individual names of the kids that we work with every day as we are teaching them to read. It's not new. The singing pastor years ago, and I'm going to actually, this is part A, part B is next week. The singing pastor years ago, R.T. Williams, sang this song called Make Me a Blessing. And I'm not going to sing it right now. I will at some point, but not right now. I just want you to hear this. Out in the highways and byways of life, many are weary and sad. Carry the sunshine where darkness is rife making the sorrowing glad. Make me a blessing, make me a blessing. Out of my life, may Jesus shine. Make me a blessing, O Savior, I pray. Make me a blessing to all of the world's problems with illiteracy today. Yes, 
But the line is, make me a blessing to someone today. Tell the sweet story of Christ and his love. Tell of his power to forgive. Others will trust him if only you prove true every moment you live. Give as was given to you in your need. Love as the master loved you. Be to the helpless a helper indeed. Unto your mission be true. Make me a blessing. Make me a blessing. Out of my life may Jesus shine. Make me a blessing, O Savior, I pray. Make me a blessing to someone, someone today. And so there was this uh, teacher walkout. I don't know if you've heard about this, but there was a teacher walkout over the last couple of weeks. And so our children's pastor said to you, whose heart is big and gets bigger, all the time. By the way, Lisa Sanders, who's not in the room, I don't believe, who uh, is going to be ordained on Monday night, April the 23rd. And it would be great if we could pack that place out with OKC first folks who are ready just to hoot and holler when Lisa finally gets ordained. It'll be a great night. But Lisa came to us, her heart on full display, as it always is, and said, if we really are going to be a voice for love and grace in our neighborhood, we have to say something now. And so Lisa said, I think I'm just gonna ask our church <laughs> that loves people if, in fact, we can be open all day for the kids, for the kids who won't be in school. Church, she said all of these things to you, and you would not believe <laughs> how folks turned out to help. It was an amazing thing. I mean, we had reptiles here, we had yoga here, we had violin lessons here, we had art here, we had Monopoly games here. It was an incredible thing. We had dodgeball, all kinds of things. It was a great way, it was a great way for so many people to be a blessing to so many other people. Oh, I need sound here, buddy. Whoop. If I go back, can you, can you put the sound on it? Is it? Are you ready for it? We're almost there. Nope, that's not it, I promise. All right. Um, my name is Lisa Sanders, and I'm the children's pastor here at OKC First Church of the Nazarene. I think mostly we just knew there would be a need, and we just thought, let's adopt uh, the school closest in our neighborhood. So we went to Coronado and let them know that we would be offering classes for kids here at the church from 9 a.m. until 5. And in that way, we're taking care of kids in our community that need assistance during this time and help parents that have jobs that wouldn't be able to maybe work their jobs if they didn't have a place for their kids to go. It's been really great. Um, I sent an email out to our whole church body and just said, hey, here's a need. My heart was just overjoyed with the response. Um, a lot of them were retired teachers. Um, some of them just knew that they had a giftedness for kids or had something they could bring to the table to help. 
And so we offered um, whatever we had the gifts and talents for. We had reading every day. Um, we coupled that at the beginning of the week with art classes. And then middle of the week, it became science. And then towards the end of the week, it was cooking. We had math. Science was probably one of our faves for the kids because a lot of hands-on activities. Um, we had some live animals here and, and microscopes where they could look at things underneath and that became a real favorite for them. Um, but we also did yoga. We had music classes. We also offered PE. Oh, and we did board games too. Just fun, ordinary board games. They engaged in that and like the interaction of just that attention and um, learning how to play a game. And that one always went over really well too. We used our teens at our church. Um, there was a set of about eight of them that came every day, and um, they were the team leaders and walked our kids around to their different classes, and they really bonded with those kids. Um, a lot of just neat conversations happen. I think for us as Christians, we're called to be a part. We're called to be um, an answer to needs, and I think that all of our volunteers that came really felt like they were able to contribute and participate. And I think that's what we're called to, is we're called to follow Christ. We need to be out there serving and giving of ourselves to make a difference. And there was, uh, there's obviously a need right now. It was a beautiful partnership between our after-school program, our nonprofit, Our Neighborhood Empowered, and our church's children's ministry. It was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. And I, am I showing this to, to pat ourselves on the back a little bit? I want you to know that we did well with this, and the folks who were a part of that do need to be thanked, thanked and congratulated. But here's the reason. Yeah, I think that's the right thing. But more importantly, and these folks who, who gave of themselves would say the same thing, I want us to make sure that we point at evidences of the reality of the resurrection when we can. And that was one. People who said, I can do that. This is a neighbor, this is a help. Listen, I want us, and I think the resurrection, the resurrection offers us the resources to be a full-throated voice where issues of justice and compassion are concerned. But it's just as important for us to be a voice when our neighbor is in need. And we have those, we have those resources in the resurrection as well. God, help us to talk just as much about those as we do issues of justice and compassion. If you're working on illiteracy really hard, and I hope you are, while your neighbor starves to death, we're missing the point. If we're working really hard on poverty while your neighbor suffers such incredible depression and anxiety and loneliness and, and uh, isolation that he or she is in jeopardy all the time, then we've skipped something, we've missed something. Because the resurrection wants to have a say in all of it. All of it. Oh, great, John. You just added to our plate. <laughs> it was already going to be a busy Monday. Well, that being the case, then we better be well fed. So if you were helping us, would you come? Heavenly Father, bless these elements and use them, God, to shape us for your work in the biggest of ways, but, Lord, just as importantly in the smallest of ways. May the bread and the cup Start to have a say in the way that we posture ourselves. May the bread and the cup have a way in the way that we speak to one another. 
our loved ones, our close friends, our enemies, our opposites, and our irritants, and the complete stranger. May these gifts that you've given to us, bread and cup, body and blood, may they shape us for your work, Lord. Yes, in the biggest of ways that have a say in how a society is organized, but also in the smallest of ways that have a say in the way that a society is organized. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear what we might not have been able to see or hear before. Bless us today, God. Bless us so that we can be blessings for other people this week. In a moment, I'll ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and then come forward with your hands cupped, ready to receive these gifts of bread and cup. If you are visiting, here's the way this will go. People will exit their pew to the left and come forward with their hands cupped because this is only something that you can receive as a gift. You can't swipe it, steal it, buy it, charge it. As you approach someone with a plate of bread, that person will take a piece of bread and press it into your hands and say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. By the way, that Jesus has been resurrected. And then take that piece of bread. Don't eat it just yet, but dip it into the cup. And when you do, that person holding the cup will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. By the way, it's the blood of that same Christ died and raised back to life. Then take and eat. And then find a place to pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars, it'll be Dr. Bratcher over here today and Linda Crow over here today. If you come for a prayer for healing, then we'll meet you there and pray that prayer for healing. If you come up here to one of these mourner's benches, kneeling benches, we won't assume anything, but somebody at some point will come and pray with you in the hopes that you understand that you aren't alone as you pray. Now, we have other options as well. You may want to make a special trip here and dip your fingers into this baptismal font to remember that you are called and resourced in your baptism to be a member of this movement, this people, this family of God. And during this season of Easter, we've added one more stop. There are a couple of people over here. Robin Stevenson Bratcher and Gerard Tashin will be over here. And then Daniel and Betty Moreira will be right back there at the back. We're not going to be on this side today. We're going to be right back here at the back to offer prayers of blessing. Blessing. You might need this prayer of blessing because you know exactly what you're facing when you get home. You know exactly what you're facing when you go to work tomorrow. And you may need this blessing, particularly if you're going to take seriously your opportunity to be a blessing. So these blessings are available to you. And someone will again press something into your hand, a tangible reminder this, that this blessing sticks with you, as does the presence of the risen Christ sticks with you this whole week resourcing you to make a difference in huge ways and just as importantly, small ways. Small ways. So after you have received communion, I hope you'll find your way to some of these other stations to pray or to receive this prayer of blessing on your life for this week. I wanna ask Daniel and Betty to go ahead and come on down to receive communion so that they can get to their spots. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. 
And every time you eat of it, remember me. Same way later, he took the cup, and he held it up before them, and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. Sins are forgiven. The blood of a new covenant, and every time you receive it, every time you drink of it, remember me. Now all across the sanctuary, all of you who are aware of your need for grace, you don't have to be fixed just yet. You just have to be aware of your need for grace, and you are welcome at this table. All across the sanctuary now, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pew to the left and come forward with your hands cup to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God. If you can't come to us, then we will be coming to you. Jason and Caleb are headed to you right now. You have loved us. You have loved us so. You have loved us all, so we love all. You have blessed us. You have blessed us all. You have blessed us all, so we bless all. Thank you for Christ at cross through us till the wandering. Thank you for making peace through us love our enemies. You have loved us. loved us all so we love all you have given you have given all you have given all so we give Thank you for daily bread, through us fill the empty. Thank you for bodies whole, through us men the breaking. All is great.
Thank you for Christ and cross through us till the wandering. Thank you for making peace through us. Love our enemies. We will uh, keep praying and keep moving around. There are people being blessed here. There are people being blessed back there. If you need that blessing, which I understand can come to you in English and Spanish back here. And we will keep these stations open. If you need a prayer for healing, that's available. As you can tell, people are going to join you if you come down front. I'm going to pray a brief prayer of confession before turning it over to Jason to close us out. But please feel free to get up and move around however you'd like during this time. Dear Heavenly Father, we confess. We confess that at times it is a struggle for us to believe in this resurrection. It, it seems so unbelievable. It is somehow, Lord, easier to believe the ghost story than it is to believe that somehow death itself has been overcome. And yet, God, when we don't embrace how it is that death has been overcome, inevitably, God, we are living beneath our privilege as people of the resurrection. We're living beneath the resources that you make available to us to be a resurrection light in the lives of others. And we confess too, Lord, that sometimes we have gotten a good taste of what this means and we've allowed it and you have pushed us and we are grateful that you have pushed us into big conversations about giant um, civic and societal needs, but God, please help us to not skip all of the steps on the way when we might be passing a neighbor a friend, a family member, an enemy, an opposite, an irritant or a complete stranger who might be just as much in need of the testimony of the resurrection. So help us, God, to be people blessed so that we can be a blessing for other people. And now hear us, God, as we pray for one another. It would be appropriate during this time of intercessory prayer to pray for those in your life, in that cubicle next to you, in that seat next to you at class, a person who you've developed a relationship with, and perhaps someone in your own home. To pray a prayer of intercession for them, perhaps God has placed someone on your heart during this service. Go ahead and pray for them at this time, that God might work in His grace ahead of time for a moment in which God may give you the courage to say, would you like to come to church with me? So as that person is in your mind's eye, would you pray for them, for the Spirit to work in ways that might even be mysterious?
Let's pray now for those in our lives who need a specific healing touch from God. And I'm sure you've come into the church this morning thinking about someone who may need God's presence and God's healing. And that healing can be physical, it can be relational, it can be a spiritual healing. I particularly want to ask that God would come alongside our good friend, LaDonna Bennett. I want to ask that God would come alongside and heal Teresa Veach. I would ask that God would be close and come alongside and heal Brenda McVeigh. I want to ask that God would be close to those who have experienced loss recently and bring healing in those who have experienced loss of a loved one, loss of a home, the loss of a job. I ask that God would be close to those who in this church fellowship have had such a difficult couple of weeks, all so many of our educators and administrators in schools across the state, and ask that God would bring comfort, encouragement, peace, and a way forward, best for them and for our students. God, as at this time we pray too for our neighborhood. Lord, we ask that you would do some things in and through us like you have, but continue that, and that, God, your name might be praised and proclaimed in the efforts that we have each day as we reach our neighborhood through Kids Club. And ask that, God, you be with employees, be with friends, be with supporters, and be with those kids in our neighborhood. As we pray for our neighborhood, we do pray for our state, our city. Pray for our nation and pray for peace around the world. Think specifically about those places that are in harm's way right now. And pray for places that are close to our heart, like Zambia and Haiti, like Toronto and like Cactus, Texas. But also, especially now, we pray for the Johnson family in Denmark, another place that's becoming close to our hearts. God, you have sent them from us to this new place. Heavenly Father, may you in us develop, God, the same way in which we take bread and cup every week. We said the Lord's Prayer each and every week, that it might begin to get us as we understand it, that we might be transformed into your people as we recite this prayer living into it as best we can in the days to come. Church, let's pray this prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and we'll pray it this morning using debts and debtors, and it should be on the screen in front of you now. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.